good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. So uh, probably one of the greatest desires of my heart is for generations behind me to echo the glory and the wonder of Christ. And one of the greatest joys of this morning is to listen to a group. I don't, I don't know for some of you in our generation, which is anything above high school. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you were doing between the ages of 14 and 16. I think we had one 17 year old and one graduate last year, but, um, I'm not, uh, I find great joy that we have a group of 14 to 16 year olds who were singing of the reckless, unfettered, glorious love of God in Christ. And they're just kind of coming around us as one generation proclaims the greatness of the Lord to the next and just proclaiming that over us, speaking that to us, speaking it through us. And some of you stylistically might be going, I don't know, it's not my... Here's what I'm loving. They're singing scripture over me. They're singing the furious love of God over me. And I am so deeply grateful. And we began this service with Psalm 145, just saying, let the generations speak to one another. And then Matt led us in generational blessing as the generations of the church blessed. And uh, at this point, um, I want to speak about a couple of things that are critically important that could happen as a byproduct of this night or this weekend, and their greatest risk I fear right now is that those of us that weren't in the weekend think this isn't for us. And I want to say to you that the um, scripture that God has led me to is critical for us. And so I think these thoughts are extraordinarily simple and extraordinarily profound. And so I want to do something really quickly so that we can um, gain most traction for the Holy Spirit. And so if you were a part of the weekend, if you're wearing a black t-shirt, I would like for you to stand right now and look around at you. And if, if you're on the outside, I would like for you to look at them and say, if I could, this is like a thumbs up. That's all you have to do, but you have to wait while you're th- thumbs up for them. If I could, I would give you 10 of my hours of sleep this weekend, but I can't. But give them a thumbs up on that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm praying for all of us in this room. You're getting about to thumb up again. I'm praying for all of us in this room, especially you, that you are awake and alive because this is going to be important. Can you thumb up to them? Give them a thumbs up back. We're all in this together. And now, um, let's go. Here we go. If you have a Bible, I want to talk about in just a few minutes, 1 Samuel 14. But um, I would love to just build off of this idea of what we believe and who we believe in. The, and the reckless love of God is truly life-changing for us. Um, Matt has had us through the weekend in, I think, five home groups, four home group intensive studies where leaders have come from around either inside our church or, um, you know, God's holy land in Tallahassee, Florida, where the Seminoles live. Or, um, I'm not even a fan, I could care less. So, um <laughs> But we are bringing it now. And so our um, other places where they've come and sat with our students and said, here's what we want you to know. Know what is true. 
Allow the truth of the living God to seep into the core of who you are and walk it out. And that's that's just been the trajectory and the conversations that have truly carried on. We joke about being tired, and some of it was fun, but some of it last night were groups talking until 3 in the morning about the reality of who Jesus is and what that looks like. Some of it was Austin sitting with our group talking about, you know, going into other nations for the sake of the glory. And the grace of God is worthy. And just beginning to wrestle with these ideas, I want you to understand who I am, what I believe, how it's shaping my life, and how it changes the trajectory of my life. And just to be extraordinarily blunt about this, if we have a group of 70 students rise up and walk into Greater Mandarin, Orange Park, St. John's, Greater Mandarin area, into the schools tomorrow, they will be the underdogs. They will be the minority and walking out. So walking out of this saying, God, how do we flesh this out? And and I believe the byproducts of what we're going to discuss today could be massive. Should every one of us in this room buy into that? So there was a recent event that happened in our city. Um, It involved a team that we're fond of. And in fact, I kind of have the colors going right now. Um, if you're not a football fan, this isn't really going to be completely about football. This is going to be about scripture, but it involves the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thank you. And so last weekend I was watching the Jaguars and, you know, the outcome was not what we hoped for. But if you are a fan, I mean, who would have thought from three wins to 12? So, you know, feel good. Now, let's, let's clap Jesus. Don't clap the Jaguars. Just, just like eight, nod your head. We're not clapping the Jaguars. And so, but here's what I was doing. I was, I was watching the game, getting ready for it. And there was this moment that I, as I went through this week, I thought this, this is setting the table for where we're heading this week. If, if you watched the game, you might have caught this. It was CBS's teaser. Check this out. Yeah. 
this. This is an ancient story from olden times. Okay. It is the story of David versus Goliath. Okay, well, maybe that was a little much, but it's not that much. The story of the mighty giant against the tiny underdog. And yet, what does football teach us? You always have a chance. Look at what Bortles, Fournette, and the Jaguars did only last weekend. You said yes, but now it's against the Patriots. You are fighting a giant. It is that simple, written over and over, if, if we could have just gotten one more touchdown, right? Ah, oh, that would have been so much happier in this room. But I'm still, Parker Jones was at my house last night. I don't know if Parker's in the room. He was like, dude, if you show that, there he is. I'm running through the wall. <laughs> I felt that way. I'm not much of a sports watcher. I just don't do that well at it. Um, when I was younger, if I had about 10 minutes of sports, I was putting on my own clothing, going out the door, because I don't want to watch a game. I want to be in the game. I want to be a part of the mix and what God is doing and how he's moving. And, and the greatest story ever is an ancient story. It is a powerful story. And I wish that, no, I don't wish that. It is not that David and Goliath is a unique story in the scripture. It is the story of scripture. It is the power and the wonder of scripture. It is it's stated as this. You don't have the capacity in and of yourself to step into this and to defeat this and win this game. But there is always the underdog and yet there is always God. And so I want to invite you into an underdog story, not David and Goliath, but a story in 1 Samuel, the 14th chapter, that invites us in and says, here's the difference that you can make. It's the story of um, Mishmash. It's the story of Philistines. It's the story of battle. It's the story that we should carry on for about four sermon series, but we'll allow to sit for this day. It's the story of the reality of what a student does and what we do when we believe God, we believe who he says we are, and we step into the world with that belief as the core of who we are. And it shapes us, and it shapes us when in the middle of this extraordinary battle, we are surrounded by those who will go the other way. If you read all of 1 Samuel 14, we are surrounded by many of our brethren in the room who will sit under a pomegranate branch and ignore the reality of the battle, but they're a part of Israel. They're on our team. It's the story of the unique one who will say, here we go. Let's go for this battle. You know this. The story of David and Goliath is the story of a little dude who brought a lunch to his brothers who were called to fight. And they're all sitting in a midst of a, of a, um, dig down area saying, we're not going, we're not fighting. And for months they had been called out. 
And in this encounter in 1 Samuel 14, there's another calling out, an epic tale. Listen to 1 Samuel 14, 12. Leading up to this, there's a garrison of Philistines on the other side. There is a troops that number hundreds. There are Saul, who's a part of the Israel tribe, who is sitting off to the side under a pomegranate, um, pomegranate uh, bush. There is a group of Philistines who keep saying, come on, let's go over, let's chase after these men. There's Jonathan who says, listen to them, how do we not go? In 1 Samuel 14, verse 12, Jonathan turns and looks at one man, his armor bearer, and he says these words to him. He says, the men of the garrison called to Jonathan, come on up and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan turned to him and said, follow me. Because there's a tale that's going on here and it's the power of the living God. And so follow me, Jonathan said to the armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. You and I will be the minority as we walk into our workplaces tomorrow and as our students walk into schools. And so what should we look at them and say? We should look at them and say, there is a great king of glory. And as the taunts rain down, just follow. God has handed over his kingdom, his name, and his glory. Walk in the midst of that and watch as God will fight for you. He will lead the way. I love what he said. Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the... Listen to the interesting words if you read 1 Samuel 14, 12. The Lord has given them into the hand of... Can you finish it for me? It's a single word. Isn't that an interesting thing? Because Jonathan is... Israel and 600 of them are over on the corner and they're looking at their leader under the pomegranate branch and they're wondering what's going on. Israel's not in this fight. There's no dog in the hunt as far as Israel's concerned. They are looking over to the side and Jonathan has this understanding that no one else seems to get in this story. There is an understanding of communal responsibility. There is an understanding that what we are about individually is far more important than our individual achievements. There is a corporate responsibility and there is a corporate joy for the longing of the body of Christ. And there is a corporate privilege that we've had throughout this morning to look and say one generation speaks of the glory of God to the next. We are about a communal people who share life with Christ at our center. That's really the responsibility and privilege that I believe we're learning in this story. Where was Israel? Israel was everywhere but in this battle. There's no Israel lined up behind Jonathan. There's no group that's coming at this point. It is Jonathan and an armor bearer, and it's the glory of God at stake. And I'm just looking at students in this room and saying, it's you and maybe one of your friends and the glory of the cross that will carry you into your school tomorrow. Will you go? I'm looking around at them and saying, can some of us who have walked this journey some years ahead of them look at them and say, we know what it's like to take an adventure for the sake of the cause of Jesus. And we want to speak that blessing into you. And more importantly, as I am am a little bit older than them, I want to live that. Where we're looking and saying, no pomegranates for me. Cut the tree down. When When they see me, they're going to go, let's go. What about you? What about the communal privilege and responsibility? Israel uh, did not understand that. They were everywhere but there. But these guys were the first part of the whole. They were the first part of this beautiful movement of God. 
Jonathan was the first to believe. Listen to that. He was the first to believe and to act on God's behalf and for God's glory. And he acted on behalf of Israel long before Israel ever acted on his behalf. This could be a solo effort. It's the oldest story ever told. It is a story that will carry us to epic journeys and adventures. But it is the story of David walking up with thousands around him and saying, I will show you the way. May you in this front show us the way. May you surrounding them say, no, we'll show you. And would that not be a glorious thing? May Jonathan teach us what it means to say, it is for the sake of the glory of God that we go. Jonathan was risking this for the sake of God's people and for the name of the Lord. And the repercussions of this were significant. I just want to really talk about what could happen should you do this. The rest of the story is that they climbed up, you know, they were, they were covered on both sides. They were also down in the valley, more enemies, and they just said, here, let's go. And they followed, Jonathan, his armor bearer followed. They climbed up using hands and feet. He went because this is what he said to his armor bearer. Look, I go with you if, if they call us out. I mean, we're in. If they tell us to stay, we'll stay. If they tell us to come, we'll come. This wasn't an invitation to a nice little party or to watch a ball game. When they called them out, they were calling them out to say, come up to us so that we can kill you. It's kind of like school tomorrow. Come up with us so that we can take your head off as soon as you crest. And, it, and here's, 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 how, um, here's how Jonathan took it. Um, Jonathan, we see you. And we would invite you up here. We are going to kill you when you crest the hill. Come on up. You know what his response was? You ready? What is it? He, was, he went. I mean, he was, are you ready? Let's go. He turned his armor bearer. The armor bearer said, with heart and soul, I go with you. Let's go, Jonathan. I think the implications of this are significant. And I have three things that I think could happen. Should we chase after the kingdom of Christ? And should we, Parker, run through walls for the sake of the kingdom? Number one, I think the faithful will gain reward. And that was probably makes up a lot of us in this room. The faithful will gain reward. I don't, I don't know that it makes up all of us, but the armor bearer is the one who is in the middle of this and he is faithful. He is in the midst of this. What you have to understand, if you back up and read chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, and then you read chapter 14, it starts talking about how they no longer have weapons. They no longer have things. They're like this, this, you know, pitiful army that's saying, we're going to battle, but we're going to, we have nothing to battle with. They had one sword and Jonathan had it at this point. And they're going in and the faithful guy who is with him is this young, inexperienced and untrained guy who's an armor bearer. It says of him in verses 13 and 14, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed. I love this. And he finished them off. In that first assault, he and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. They climbed up, they went after against all odds, and they conquered for the sake of the glory of God. What I find interesting is he has nothing, the armor bearer, the faithful one, he has nothing to defend himself. He's just a step or two into the battle, and yet he is fully engaged for the sake of the glory of God. The scripture tells us that the first wave 
The armor bearer and them stood on a half acre of land and they took the battle to them and were victorious. I would suggest to you, as Matt did teaching the other night, that um, we're not asking you to carry a sword or anything of that manner. We're asking you, what could happen on a half acre of land tomorrow at your schools? What could happen in our workplaces if we carry the healing and powerful name of Jesus? And just a few of us said, we're going and we're going together and we'll go for the sake of the cause and we pray and we fast and we seek. And I believe that, as as they said of them, 20 lost their lives. I would pray, I share with a bunch of the students my favorite verse, I would pray that 20 tomorrow, multiplied times over, would find that they have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer them who live, but Christ who lives in them. In the life they live in the body, they live by faith in the Son of God, who they have just discovered through a bunch of Jonathans and armor bearers, loved them and recklessly abandoned himself for them. And they would give their lives to that. The faithful are rewarded in this. In the moment, the armor bearer went from a guy who had a little bit of potential and was longing to be trained to a guy that was potent for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. So can we. How? Listen, this is simple. And, and I, if you're note taken, I would take notes. And if not, I would put this deep in my heart. How can I be in the middle of what God is doing? The beautiful component of that is to be present. To be faithful. To sit down in the middle of who God is and to, and to do what we've talked about. To know what you believe. To know who you are. And to walk that out in extraordinarily practical ways as you make your way. Faith is a huge word, and honestly, I think we'll run through walls for the sake of faith. We like the big stories, and we like the ideas of faith, and it's epic to think that we could truly walk out and see dozens on half an acre plots all over Jacksonville come to know Jesus. But it's a whole other thing to say what led to this act of faith was that the armor bearer was faithful. We don't like that as much because faithfulness means I am walking with you. I am following with you. I am pursuing with you. I am camped with you. I will go up the hill with you. I will climb with you. I will go with you. I don't see any results, but I am with you. I am carrying on with you. Holy God, I am going to learn who you are. I am going to faithfully, diligently be present so that when you do invite me to a half acre plot, I am ready. Otherwise, most of us experience this, chilling out under a pomegranate branch, unequivocally unfaithful. And we sit and wonder, why are we not experiencing God tales? Or why do we even think that the pastor just chunked a video about the Jaguars at us? I threw that at us because I believe that God is working epic stories for his glory today through the faithful. Who are saying, we're here and we're present and we believe you. We believe you in our circumstances Often, God, we believe you despite our circumstances and we want to revel in glory in you. I put this on the screen. More of us would be known by our faith when we are more faithful. You could just, you could settle on that for a while. When we're simply present, immersed in the word, and listen to this, surrounded by those who are sharpening their sword, We'll see some beautiful things. So my other sentence, if you want to be in the midst of this, be there. Be present. Be faithful. And here's the second part that becomes beautiful. This story is not just about Jonathan and others, but this story is about prodigals who were restored. 
In chapter 14, verse 21, it says, Saul and the troops assembled. This is verse 20. They marched in the battle. Verse 21, there were Hebrews from the area. Listen to these. There were Hebrews from the area who had gone early into camp to join the Philistines. But even they, listen to the remainder of it, even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and with Jonathan. Not only are the faithful in the game now, but the prodigals are restored. How many of you have people around you that used to walk with God? There's a good old line. I love the way his... Uh, his um, I, I didn't prepare for this moment. I love the way his life would live within your eyes. I love the way your steps would be directed by his life. I love the way the journey that you had in Christ. How many of you have friends who you sing that song in a past tense? And not only have they lost their joy of the journey, they've actually gone and sold themselves to live one more day in the enemy's camp because they would rather preserve their life on earth than to live for the glory of the sake of the kingdom of Christ for eternal glory. And here's what happens. Here's what happens when we don't watch this about the Jaguars and the Patriots, when we watch this about the kingdom of Christ and we take steps and we are faithful and we are present. People who are walking with us, they're blessed. But here's what happens even more beautifully. Prodigals, friends who are far from God right now, look and see what God is doing and they come charging back into the battle. And I personally, as I share this scripture, have people who I love greatly who have stepped off the battle's front and who would rather live another day in personal prosperity on this temporal spinning orbit than to live for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I want to live so impassioned that we live for the sake of the glory. They glimpse in and go, what are we thinking? And they drop everything and run into the battle. I wrote, a, I wrote a sentence down that I think is pretty powerful. Let's see if I can find it. And they looked across the battlefield and they remembered. Faithful people unleash prodigals and they're restored. But here's the sentence. When someone has walked away from God's people or God himself, polite religion doesn't invite them back. Can you imagine, just imagine with me, can you imagine running for something that's God-sized and you know you're in the journey and you're running in the midst of it? Um, I don't know that all, I, I don't know that you have a few people who are prodigal right now that you're praying for. If you're outside of the black church, you probably do. You're just, you've seen them walk with Jesus. Can you imagine because you have been faithful And you are on a hill. Can you imagine what Jonathan and the armor bearer are feeling right now? Because they're running in the midst of the battle and they're feeling the winds of the presence of God and they're looking straight at God himself and he's going, well done, way to go. But imagine the feeling right now as they are experiencing the glory and the wonder of God and then they glance to their right and they glance to their left and they see who is with them. Someone who had fundamentally betrayed them for a season. There's no angst in that. There would be liberated joy in my heart to look to the left and right and say, we're in this together. Because when we say to the Lord, we are yes, Lord. We are climbing, Lord. It is your glory, Lord. Prodigals are restored and the faithful are unleashed. And the broken is the last that I share with you. Are brought to a place of healing. 
the broken are just brought into what God has for them. In verse 22, listen to this. Not only are those Philistines who have joined the enemy camp coming in, but when all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they joined in with Saul, with Jonathan, with the army, and with the prodigals. That's a little addition, but it's just right above you. I mean, it's not in this passage. It's just one verse up. When those who have been... Oh, Susan, we just experienced this last night. And I have no idea if the person's here. When those who have been emotionally wounded and crushed, maybe by life, or the person we engaged in the conversation with was crushed by the church. And she's on the sidelines right now, and I'm just praying for her, and I'm going to keep going back and praying, because often our... Our pomegranate moments can crush the people around you and I can point you to a specific place where a lot of pomegranate people sit around and toss things and are wasting time and there is a battle going on and instead we're over-evaluating, judging, and missing it. And I can tell you that there are emotional wounds on the sideline as a result. And verse 22 says, those who had to go into hiding because of their emotional battering stepped up, stepped out, came out of hiding and began to mobilize as well. My heart is full right now with this scripture. Just saying, Lord, what will happen when we as a people say yes? When a whole room of 70 students say yes, we'll climb. I I, I believe that some of us in this room who have lost heart will gain heart. I believe that some who are in it and are faithful will be found more faithful. I believe that some who are emotionally wounded and still sitting on the sidelines will go, thank you, Lord. But they don't, they don't lead the way, for heaven's sake. We're the mature ones. We're the followers of Jesus. So when those of us who are adults stand up and say, let's go, they should follow. They should experience their hearts. Some of them have prodigal hearts. Some of them are far from God. These aren't perfect kids, but they could be brought near by a slew of us mature followers of Jesus saying, let me show you the way. And the emotionally wounded experience the balm of the holy Jesus Christ, the healing salve of his spirit and his presence. There's healing wonder when we join in with the greater good. The place of brokenness, rebellion, and struggle is replaced by a place of holy purpose, passion, and heart. It's restorative. It's redemptive. I would just say to you that this is an ancient story. It is an old, written, over and over story. And it's the story of multiple giants that face us in 10 minutes when we finish the next song. And it's the story of God who has already led the way. And so Israel, followers of Jesus, will you join in so prodigals are restored? So that the faithful are renewed and purposed and so that the wounded and broken are healed. Personally, I think that epic story that God continues to write is worth it. What about you? And so the response is simple. 
I don't, I don't think that the end of a, a motivational message like this, and uh, I felt exactly like Parker. I finished that game, and I looked at my son, and I said, I have no desire to go watch football right now. I want to put on, you know, the 1980s shorts and go play basketball. I want to do something besides when epic stories are lived out, the last thing you want to do is park in a pew and watch, and the first thing you want to do is go dive into the battle. And the greatest way to do that isn't to walk out of this message going, I'm going to do something big now. The greatest way that we participate in this is to say, Lord, I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to believe that there is something beautiful that you have going, and here's what would do our students well and do the rest of us well. I'm just going to faithfully define who I am, what I believe, who you are. And when you say to climb, I'm in. And until then, I'm going to faithfully define who I am, who you are, what I believe. And until you tell me where to go, I'm going to faithfully say I'm in. And so what I'm going to do for the next days is define who I am, who you are, and where you're at work. And until you say to go, I'm just going to settle in and discover those truths. Because, Lord, I'm going to be faithful so that there can be a moment of faith that I experience as a result of the knowledge of who you are. Yes. And amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for a room full of students who have sat with you and wrestled with who and what they believe. I pray that you would sear in their heart not an epic battle, but a beautiful Savior. God, I pray for the church, those of us who make up this body of believers that surround them, I pray that we will be a cloud of witnesses of the faithfulness of our God and that we would demonstrate for them what it means to be present, to be faithful. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. 